Welcome to Introspectively Speaking. I'm Amber Lynette, an avid podcast listener and 34-year-old gal from Miami, Florida, who one day felt inspired to share my personal stories and spill my own tea with the world. After a big dose of You Only Live Once, I'm creating the content that I so desire but only ever read in slice-of-life fiction novels. I'm an everyday person going through life's roller coaster, but choose to honestly, vulnerably, and introspectively share my stories with you in an effort to inspire a different kind of wellness. Transcendence through introspection for all. Though the very real stories in this podcast are about me, they'll also hold up a mirror to you. So disclaimer, the definition of introspection is the examination or observation of one's own mental and emotional processes. And I don't know about you, but sometimes that's a daunting place to go. I encourage you to listen with an open mind and curiosity. And now it's time to go on some trails. Welcome back to the Listener Essay Series. When I started this podcast, I had no idea the paths it would take, the reactions I'd receive, or the ways it would make me feel. But here I am, a couple episodes down the line, and introspectively speaking is really starting to take shape. What I've learned in this short period of time is that sharing my own personal stories has been powerful. I had hoped that this podcast would help me find my voice and reveal the truest parts of myself. I had hoped it would show people what's below the surface of the happy-go-lucky demeanor I carry around with me like a fashion shih tzu perched in my arm like a clutch purse. I had hoped for connection, truly believing that there were people out there like me that shared similar life experiences and were also ready to go on a journey of introspection. A few episodes down the line, and I'm happy to report that all of my hopes are becoming a reality. With each episode I write, I get closer to knowing myself. Sure, it's at the expense of possibly oversharing, but the messages I receive telling me how my stories made people feel, how it resonated with them, and how they look forward to hearing more makes it all worth it. It makes me think of the concept of biographies versus autobiographies. Let's go back to grade school for just a minute. A biography is when someone else writes about your life, usually in chronological order, hopefully with ample research, and ideally after having spent quality time getting to know you. They try their very best to capture your essence and truth, and perhaps very good biographers are able to eliminate the hundreds of kinds of biases one can possess and craft an authentic story about you. But an autobiography, in my opinion, is so much more intimate and fascinating. It's the culmination of one's thoughts, feelings, experiences, sometimes never even intended to see the light of day. It's written in the voice of the very person who owns it and described from that very person's unique point of view. All of this to say, I've also learned in this short period of time that we all have a unique story to tell and sometimes our stories collide with great similarity or difference, or both, especially in the case of siblings. Today, the story that you'll hear is that of my very own sister, 
Stephanie. I was so excited to feature Steph on the podcast because I knew that I'd learned something new about her that I hadn't known before. Just the way that she's learned so many new things about me that she hadn't known before. That's the thing about this podcast, is that even those closest to me are finding out things that they never knew before through this very public format. Some have even wondered why I hadn't shared some of the thoughts and feelings I've expressed here with them. The truth is, I am a much better writer than I am a speaker off the top of my header. Personally, I need time and space to chew on my thoughts and words and about a million backspaces and edits before what I spit out adequately depicts what I'm trying to say. Now, I know we are not always granted the time and space to chew on thoughts and words and deliver it in an eloquently written essay. And sometimes just saying what needs to be said well, just needs to be said. But that requires a vulnerability so real that it's unreal. And as I've tossed this idea around in my mind, the idea that face-to-face vulnerability is quite possibly a nausea-inducing, cheek-blushing, extremely awkward event for me, I decided to turn to the dictionary to literally understand what it even means to be vulnerable. Here's what I found. The definition of vulnerable is to be susceptible to physical or emotional attack or harm. Looking at it that way, it's an understatement to say being vulnerable is hard. Rather, being vulnerable doesn't even seem like an option. The connotation of vulnerable is so negative, but I want so much to be able to use the word and have it accurately describe how I see vulnerability without the negative connotation because Being vulnerable shouldn't make one feel like they're under attack. Rather, it should feel freeing. So I've come up with my own definition of what it means to be vulnerable, and that is to allow a person or group of people to know one's truest thoughts, feelings, and life experiences with a completely normal, though not necessarily true, fear of rejection, fear of disagreement or catastrophic conflict, or fear of judgment of character but with an overall sense of relief after the thought, feeling, or experience is expressed. Because this is what being vulnerable equates to for me. It's scary at first, but ultimately very freeing. I suppose we could categorize all of those fears into quote, emotional attack or harm, but when it's put that way, it implies intentionality on behalf of the other person in the interaction to hurt you. And most of the time, I don't think most people intentionally attack or cause harm because when we're afraid of being vulnerable, often it's with the people we love the most. So when I asked Steph if she'd be interested in responding to one of my episodes, I was thrilled that she would allow me and you, listener, to know her truest thoughts, feelings, and experience as it relates to whether or not she loves her body. As siblings, we grew up in the same household and therefore have many shared experiences. But our stories, though they collide, are actually very different. She has been patiently awaiting the release of this episode, and finally, it's here. As always, I ask that you hold space for her as she tells us her story on self-love, body image, and overall health and wellness.
My name is Stephanie, and I'm Amber's big sister. After listening to her episode in which she answers the question if she loves her body, naturally it made me think about whether or not I love mine. I have been on this earth for what seems like an eternity, but in reality, it's only been 38 years. I guess it feels like I've been here so long because of, well, life. The entire time I've lived in the exact same body, however, in different shapes, sizes, experiences, and mental states. In thinking about the question of whether I love my body, I came to the conclusion that it's less about how I look on the outside and more about how I feel on the inside. This is the lesson I've learned throughout my 38 years, but it took me some time to get here. My story is a little different from Amber's. Before Banana Breath ever came into the picture, that's what I called her when we were little, our mom was married to my dad, Fernie. Actually, one of my earliest memories with my mom and dad was the day they took me to McDonald's after a long, warm day on Fort Lauderdale Beach. I was starving and the fast food industry was ready to make a lifelong customer out of little Stephanie. Like Amber, I was also a McDonald's girl. Except for me, it wasn't the Big Mac that I liked. It was those darn addictive chicken nuggets. I liked them instantly. I liked them so much that I wanted to take more home with me, so I decided to hide chicken nuggets in my mouth. About an hour later when we got home, my mom looked at me and asked, why do you look like a chipmunk? She reached her hand inside my mouth and to her surprise, found two chicken nuggets. Ever since then, fast food has been prominent in my life. When I was little, it tasted good. And as I got older, it not only tasted good, but was good for my pockets. But back to when I was younger. Growing up, I was always very skinny. As a matter of fact, in high school, I weighed around 90 pounds. I think some might hear 90 pounds and immediately think, she must have had an eating disorder. But no, I did not. I was truly just a very petite girl. And I ate a lot of junk food without suffering the consequences of gaining any weight. If I were to record a what I eat in a day back when I was in high school, this is what it would have looked like. Arriving to school, get a Coke and a bag of Cheetos or a bagel with cream cheese or a pastelito. Lunchtime, two McDonald's cheeseburgers or slices of pizza, a chocolate chip cookie and another Coke. Dinner, whatever mom was making with a Coke. You see, Amber failed to mention in her previous episode that our high school had the best selection around. And when I say best, I say it relatively to a typical teenager's palate. We had not only McDonald's, but Burger King, Subway, Pizza Hut, Domino's, and Papa John's. Even with eating all that stuff, I could still fit into my Brazilian jeans, crop tops, and cool swimsuits without feeling self-conscious about my body. I was a total Charlotte Russe, 579, rampage girl, and looked damn good in all of it. (laughs) But when my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer when I was 22, the once 90-pound high school girl changed. I feel like so many people will relate to what I'm about to say. By all accounts, I was an emotional eater. I was so sad and didn't know what to do about my feelings other than, well, eat them. Though I had always eaten junk food, 
My eating accelerated with the intensity of my emotions coping with the loss of my mother. At the same time, polycystic ovary syndrome was lurking in the background. I gained 50 pounds very quickly, and for the first time in my life, I hated my body. Eventually, I weighed close to 200 pounds. The mental and physical toll this took on me was rough. Shopping for clothes became a tool for covering what I hated. Physically, I was in pain as my petite frame at 5 feet tall managed 200 pounds of body weight. Then I started noticing how it affected my health. I had developed high blood pressure, was borderline diabetic, and was diagnosed with polycystic ovary syndrome, which also meant I struggled with fertility. The truth is, after my mom died, I struggled to find a reason to care more about my health. Sometimes I felt like it wasn't worth fixing. It wasn't until three years ago when I experienced a health scare that I decided to finally take control of my health. It was one day that my blood pressure got up to 170 over 110, and I felt so unwell. I had to go to the emergency room. I mean, according to the American Heart Association, I was dangerously close to being a hypertensive crisis. They don't call it the silent killer for nothing. I knew it was time to make some changes, and thankfully I had the support of my husband to get started. Amber was right in her episode. There are many different ways to approach one's health. I choose to approach mine as holistically as possible. Though I used medications at first to get things under control, I knew I didn't want to take medications forever. Some of them, like metformin, which is supposed to help with my PCOS, hurt more than it actually helped. And the truth is, I can take all the medication in the world, but if I didn't make some basic lifestyle changes first, it wouldn't do so much for me anyways. So I started to focus on eating the right things to fuel my body, especially avoiding artificial ingredients that I felt were destroying it, and did a lot of personal research on different supplements I could take to improve my high blood pressure and PCOS. Now, I'm not suggesting to anyone listening that might suffer from high blood pressure or PCOS to try the things that I have, but I do want to share what has worked for me personally. I encourage you to do your own research. In addition to eating a healthier diet and removing things like soda and candy, I also started drinking hibiscus tea with cayenne pepper for my blood pressure, in addition to the tinctures of stinging nettle, mullein, and dandelion. For my PCOS, I've found spearmint tea to help reduce unwanted facial hair due to its hormone balancing and androgen-lowering ability, but a real game-changer for me has been a supplement called inositol of which several studies have been done and proven to show promising for the treatment of PCOS. With these changes, I've proudly lost 20 pounds, have gotten my period back, and rarely suffer from high blood pressure anymore. For the first time in years, I feel confident about what I see in the mirror, but most of all, I'm feeling great in my body. Answering the question, do you love your body, has really made me reflect on how I treated it throughout the past 38 years. What I've realized is that we need to be kind to ourselves. As the years go by and we experience life, we will only ever have one physical body to experience it in. I am grateful to have had this opportunity to share a glimpse of my story with you and sincerely hope that it will inspire you to take a deeper look and to find true happiness in all aspects of bodily love.
Wow. Maybe I'm a little biased, but I loved this week's listener essay. Though Steph's essay responds to the question of do you love your body, listening to her point of view on things actually sent me down a trail that I didn't expect. So before we close out today's episode, get your hiking boots on, listener. The ending of today's episode may or may not make you emotional. I remember being witness to Stephanie's journey, and at each juncture, the way she looked and felt somehow impacted the way I looked and felt. When we were younger, and I felt like that chubby little girl with the baby fat rolls, Stephanie was slender with washboard abs. As we got older and navigated through the shared experience of our mother's death, while I locked my big emotions into a vault and threw away the key, partied and starved, Stephanie let it all out and, in her words, ate her feelings. It was like an alternate dimension where the manifestations of our feelings and our physical bodies came to life and morphed us into the appearances we have today. I remember when my episode, all about the D-word, examining our relationship to death came out. Stephanie called me ripe with tears as many people did. This was a turning point in our sisterhood and validated the need for me to go on this public introspective journey. Stephanie had no idea that I withheld emotion to essentially save others from Amber's burden. And it made me think about one of the last days I had with my dad in the hospital. As I sat and cried next to him, processing his certain death, he chuckled and said, Amber, you don't cry. You've always been the strong one. Which then made me think about another time when I fell head over heels in love with Lisette, and my best friends witnessed for the first time in love, giggly, affectionate Amber. It made me think of all the moody days I have in the safety of my own home that no one ever sees, the calls I rarely make to just talk about when I'm going through a hard time, the feelings I have that I write in a journal but never really share. And I asked, why has it been so hard for me to let people see me? So as I listened to Stephanie's story, her vulnerability, I reflected back on the actual definition of the word, to be susceptible to emotional or physical attack or harm. And then I went down the path of how, if I used this definition to frame Stephanie's journey, how had I treated her vulnerability all the times she had called me to just talk about her health journey or to share how she was ready to turn a new leaf? And I feel like I owe her an apology for the times where I pushed her to be a little healthier, work out a little more, eat a little differently, just be different. I carry shame around this because as her very own sister, I feel like I rejected her reality because in many ways I rejected mine. Like Dory from Finding Nemo, not everyone can turn life's switch off, forget, and just keep swimming. So I could understand if Stephanie felt susceptible to emotional attack or harm from me all the time she confided in me because me pushing her to just keep swimming wasn't very loving at all, even though I do love her very much. So here's my public apology to my sister that she has no idea she's going to hear on today's episode. 
Steph, I'm sorry, and I love you just the way you are. You've demonstrated bravery your whole life as my big sister. You wear your emotions on your sleeve, and despite all of the challenges you've been through, you never fear your vulnerability. I have so much to learn from you, and I'm the luckiest girl in the world that you are my sister. So listener, last episode, the metaphor and the learning was all about how we as humans are like kaleidoscopes. Today, it's how we as humans have the ability to be vulnerable and even make the meaning of this word work for you. I hope you take a few moments to think about how vulnerable you are and how you might make this word work for you. How would you define it? Thank you for listening to today's episode of Introspectively Speaking. I can't tell you how much it means to me. What I can tell you is that you have a direct impact on the success of this show. Please take a few moments to follow and give this podcast a five-star rating on Spotify or Apple. And remember, though the stories are about me, they're also about you. I'd love to hear your thoughts and if anything resonated with you. So be sure to write a review if you listen on Apple or respond to the Q&A question on Spotify. Do you think someone could benefit from this episode? Engage in my favorite love language and share this podcast with someone you know. Until next time, sending you a big, big hug. This podcast was written, recorded, and produced by me, Amber Lynette. And the groovy music you've been hearing is a song called Mirrors by pianist and songwriter Santi Alfaro.